to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe baths body and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that offers a wide variety of non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products that will make you feel nourished inside and out. And for our local to Los Angeles listeners, Milk and Honey has the most beautiful spa that just opened. I recently had a massage at their brand new Brentwood, Los Angeles location, and I really recommend it. We are so happy that Milk and Honey spas are now in LA after being the go-to spa with multiple locations in Texas. They offer facials, body treatments, massages, and lots more at their beautiful new space. Yes, I am about to book a treatment too, and I can't wait to check it out. I'm just so happy to have a spa that I can fully trust in our area now. And for all of our listeners, their online boutique offers products from the Milk and Honey line and from other top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. Some of our favorite products include Milk and Honey's baking soda-free, aluminum-free deodorant, and lavender tea tree, which I have been exclusively using for years. And I also love Milk and Honey's gel cleanser and Osea's body oil and Vegas nerve oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. If you want to try milk and honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CW podcast, one word at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. Everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Courageous Wellness. We have such a great conversation today with Jacqueline and Kibby all about mental health. And it's a really beautiful conversation that we can't wait for you to hear. But before we get to that conversation, we're going to share our weekly updates and what is new with us. So Allie, how are you this week? What's going on? I'm good. I had a little work trip. Um, last weekend. And actually just to tease it up on our Patreon this week, uh, I do some of my favorite travel hacks, um, that like help me really feel good along the way. I think with, you know, with COVID last couple of years, 
uh, travel restrictions and food has really changed as far as like on flight food and what's accessible. And, um, you know, everybody knows like airplane or airport food, I should say airplane food doesn't really exist much anymore. And airport food is always overpriced and like very limited options and not too good. So, um, I share about my, it's like my reusable adult like stainless steel lunchbox. It's basically a bento box. And I put protein, fat, fiber, all the things we always talk about for, um, you know, really feeling satiated and keeping our blood sugar balanced. And I have to say, it's such a delight to like get off a plane, not feeling totally hangry, not feeling totally dehydrated. I also am like such a proponent of filling up a water bottle, taking an empty one. And now most airports have filtered, um, water bottle fill up stations. And anyway, I'm not going to give it all away. You got to go to our Patreon, but just a few little things that have cut down so much on cost and keep my digestion and my energy levels kind of on point while I travel. So I'm never going back. And I shared all about them this week on Patreon. Yay. Yeah. And, and for anybody who doesn't know, or if you're new to the podcast, Allie's other life outside of wellness is she's also a performing artist. So she has a lot of experience. She's traveled all over the world. So your travel hacks are definitely, um, they've always been good. So I was excited to learn more. I I loved when you texted me a picture of your little, um, bento lunchbox on the airplane. I was like, this is game changing. And yeah, you also brought all your little, um, beauty things, your little beauty travel size things and lots of milk and honey in there, which is actually my update this week. Yeah. (laughs) Let's hear about it. I had my first massage in two years and it was the most extraordinary experience before the (laughs) pandemic. I was a regular massage girl. Like I would go I would go a lot. And actually, Ali, you had introduced me to this little like hole in the wall place that I would go to like sometimes every single week before the pandemic. So it's my favorite way to treat myself. I like it more than anything else. And I just hadn't, you know, gone back since the pandemic, you know, as, as a lot of our regular listeners know, I deal with, um, my in-laws have, there's just a lot going on with health in my family. So I've had to be a little extra cautious these last two years. And even as things have really opened up, but I went and I got my massage at the milk and honey spa, which just opened in Brentwood and they have a new location opening in Culver city. And for those who aren't familiar with milk and honey. Um, milk and honey is actually one of the sponsors of our podcast. They're an amazing brand that we love and believe in. It's a female owned female funded, um, company out of Austin, Texas, and they have their own line of hyper clean, uh, products. You know, their, uh, aluminum free baking soda, free deodorant is my ride or die product. I've used it way before they were ever a sponsor on our podcast and their products are incredible incredible. And they also carry in their online boutique and stores, other items from top brands like Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and a lot more. So it's a great online boutique and they've always had salons in Texas Mm because that's where they're from. So they have always been like a great go-to clean spa in Texas for facials, massages. They even have a med spa if that's something you're interested in. Um, 
but they opened in LA. Sorry. That's like a long way to be like, they opened in LA and, um, they have one in Brentwood and Culver city. And I went to their Brentwood location and it was the most, like I said, I am a massage girl. I have done like everything from four seasons, massages, Burke Williams massages. So milk and honey spas are the most premium premium experience. It was so gorgeous. Whoever designed the spa did like the most beautiful job. It's so earthy and feminine and just like, like it, it feels relaxing when you walk in like such an elevated experience. Um, the staff was so kind and nice. Everything was so clean. They have HEPA filters in every single room. Um, it was just premium. It was the most beautiful experience. I'm definitely going to make this a regular part of my routine again. And I just can't recommend it enough. So if you are local to LA or are in the Austin area, check out milk and honey spas. I can't recommend it enough. So I had a 60 minute massage and it was life-changing. Yeah. yeah, It is a beautiful environment there for sure. I've gotten to go as well. And it's, um, yeah, it's just really, really, like you said, it's pretty, um, kind of like there, there's sort of like these natural elements that they bring in and the, in the vibe there. And it's just very, very grounding and relaxing. So if you're fortunate enough to be in the LA area or in the Austin area, um, milk and honey spa, is just like a great, a great little treat. And as Erica mentioned too, they also have an awesome online, um, boutique with many of your favorite brands. So check it out and we have a discount for them. Um, so use CW podcast, uh, either at checkout or at the spa for 15% off. Absolutely. And what's really cool too, we have another, um, sponsorship update. We just learned this week that if you love Ned, our favorite, um, full spectrum hemp oil, CBD and body butters, you can now save 15% on every single order. So not just your first order. So if you bought, um, Ned in the past, if you love it, if you use it, like we do, you can save 15% on every single order now. So that's really exciting. Um, I just ordered another bottle of their de-stress blend, which I love. Um, yeah. and I think you just ordered some body butter. So somebody and I, I talk all the time offline about all the things we love. So I'm always like, I know. And I, I know really, Allie's I was gonna say I really better. love. Yeah, I know she does. I really love um, I think I've talked about this too, and I talk about it in our ad, but I love um Ned's um natural cycles, the hormone. I'm like, I can't even speak today. (laughs) The hormone, um, balancing, um, tincture that they have. So I really have noticed a difference using that. And, um, yeah. So that being said, let's get to the episode because we have a great conversation with these ladies today. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I was just going to say, this is such a great follow-up to last week's episode with Amrit Sadna Boyd, all about, like, we talked so much about like anxiety and like processing and, you know, coming home to yourself. And now we're talking about mental health. So I feel like it's like a mind, body, spirit month here at Courageous Wellness. So, um, yes, let's get into the episode. So today on the podcast, we sit down for a conversation with Dr. Kibby McMahon and Jacqueline Trumbull, the co-hosts of the mental health podcast, a little help from our friends. Kibby is a clinical psychologist and yogi who met Jacqueline through their studies at Duke university. Jacqueline is a PhD student, soon to be clinical psychologist and a member of bachelor nation appearing on both the bachelor and bachelor in paradise. 
with a mother who was a psychiatrist and personal ties in her family to depression, anxiety, and alcoholism. Jacqueline always had a mental health as a prominent subject in her life. Their mental health podcast and platform, a little help from our friends provide scientifically informed perspectives on various mental health topics, including fertility, gaslighting, addiction, depression, and more. Today, we have a really wonderful conversation on both of their personal journeys to their work in mental health. Jacqueline also shares a bit about her experience on multiple iterations of the Bachelor franchise as a contestant, and both women discuss their experiences around fertility, how they've dealt with loved ones struggling with addiction, how to set healthy boundaries, and detailed information on coping with mental health challenges. We really appreciate both Jacqueline and Kibby for being so open with us today, and know you're going to love this one. Share your thoughts by tagging us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness and enjoy the episode. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO Courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years, and the Sakara Life Organic Meal Delivery Program is based on a whole food, plant-rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient-dense, and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich, low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XOCourageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. Now onto the episode. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to having this conversation. As Erica mentioned before recording, we really enjoy doing um, episodes with other podcasters as well. It's always fun. So uh, to get us started, whoever would like to start first, can you share us um, share with us a little bit about your personal backgrounds and then how you met each other and how your the work that you do has has led to each other and the incarnation of your show as well? Okay. Hi, thanks so much for having us on. Um, so I, so we basically, we met at Duke, um, because I was interviewing for grad school and she was a woman who's already in the lab that I was applying for. Um, but my background is, I mean, I grew up in West Virginia and then went to, went to school, studied philosophy. Then I went into the tech industry quickly figured out it was a terrible fit for me. And so, um, I did a hard pivot to psychology, which, um, basically meant that I had to, I had to get a bunch of like research jobs. So I got to move to New York city and was like living a very fun twenties in New York lifestyle, went on the bachelor at one point. So that was the big adventure there. And then, finally applied to PhD programs. And, um, when I, when I got an interview at Duke, um, I wasn't really so sure about the program. And then I met Kibby and it was like this instantaneous, like chemistry 
Um, we just mentally jived with each other a lot. And I had kind of a rough time interviewing at Duke until the last day I was about to go home and we had made drink plans. Like, let's just get a beer. And then I think I had something like five beers or something. And it was just like, Kivy and I were just like talking for hours straight. Um, and that's, I feel like she got me into Duke. I feel like she's what made me excited about Duke. And we just decided to kind of take that chemistry and start a podcast. Now she regrets every bit of it. Now she's deep into the program and it's no longer fun. Burn out. I'm just kidding. I'm very grateful to be here. Um, thanks for having me on too. I'm Kibby. Um, I, I grew up in New York city and, uh, uh, basically I came to the mental health world, um, cause my mom struggled with alcoholism and, um, so a lot of mental health issues in my family. And I've always, in always interested in how people see things, um, how that could totally change their experience of their own life. So, um, I mostly studied psychology from like an intellectual perspective in college. And then I got into yoga teaching and then time massage. I went over to Thailand went into the, these rice patties and into this teacher's home in the middle of, of Chiang Mai and really learned how to connect to people in this interpersonal way. So learn how to create this space for this healing space for people and watch like huge changes, even, even moment to moment, um, through yoga and massage, just watching people kind of transform the way they relate to themselves and the way that they were relating to their own struggles. Um, so I was like, okay, how do I combine my mind and body <laughs> ventures? Um, and that's how I ended up at Duke in the clinical psychology PhD where I met Jacqueline and I've always been interested. We both have this interest in how mental health affects others, like how it affects our relationships, um, how relationships affect mental health and vice versa. And, um, she had this awesome podcast background through the bachelor and I, was just itching to do something like that. And so combining our forces together, this is how we came to a little help for our friends. So that's our, those are our journeys. We also decided to have um, a bench of the podcast where we talk to the friends and family of those who are suffering, because as Kibby said, her mom is an alcoholic in recovery. My sister also is a severe alcoholic who's in recovery and knowing what it's like to be that family member, how affected mm -hmm. you are, you know, it's not just the person suffering, but how, how helpless it can feel to try to help that person and how sometimes it comes down to either learning how to help them better or learning how to set your own boundaries and kind of accept what you can't change. So. Wow. Yeah, no, gosh, thank you both for sharing that. And there's so much that, um, I'm excited to dive in with both of you. I'm like where to begin. I think what's really cool too about mental health, um, the conversations that we're now having right in 2022, but it's wild because I feel like we we're probably all relatively the same age. Um, and I know all of our listeners are relatively the same age, you know, but, um, yeah, even just growing up in the early two thousands and, you know, the late nineties when I like, you know, was in elementary school and then middle school in the two thousands, I, uh, like nobody really talked about mental health and anxiety and these different things. And looking back at, at my childhood, wow, I had so much anxiety and so many different things that just weren't, um, discussed or talked about. And, um, I feel very fortunate that I was able to power through it, but in my twenties, it really came back up and I really had to start 
unpacking and dealing with a lot of my own, my own stuff. And so I'm so excited about where this conversation with mental health is going. And I even had the opportunity, um, in January, I got to speak at a class, a couple fourth grade classrooms. Um, Ali and I also have a background in we're integrative nutrition health coaches. And I got to speak at a couple of classrooms about gut health. And as we know, you know, our gut can be very tied to our mental health and all these little fourth graders knew about mental health. Like it was unbelievable to me to hear fourth graders be like our mental health and our, it's like, wow, like what's going on. And again, you know, we're in Southern California and Los Angeles. So I know it might not be that way everywhere, but it was a very exciting, um, exciting moment for me to experience with these little, these little kids. So mental health, right. And you both shared that you have that these experiences with members of your families who have struggled, but I guess what was your entry point into being like, this is what I really like, I guess, Jacqueline, I'll start with you too, because uh, Kibby, you mentioned, right? Like you had this family background always, that was always something you knew you wanted to explore and deal with, but Jacqueline, when did like the transition come for you of like, this is what you want to dedicate your, your life to. And also I imagine being on reality TV cannot be easy for your mental health. I just no, it wasn't. I can't imagine if <laughs> maybe you can touch on that. Yeah. So my mom's a psychiatrist. So the the idea of being in the mental health profession was not foreign to me. Um, but I for some reason just like didn't denied it for myself. I, I had a really big value shift to brought on actually by a depression episode of about a year. I had gone through a lot of depression as a teenager starting at 14. And then when I was 22, so basically when I graduated from UVA and started working in tech, all of like, I was really concerned with making money and having prestige and um, not just following in my mom's footsteps. And all of a sudden I was like totally crippled by this depression that was due to multiple factors, but one of them was really hating my career. And I just realized like, I, I need to look back on my life and know that I spent it asking the questions that I really want to answer. I want to, you know, it's, I was really worried that I was going to look back at my life and say, I just answered the same question over and over and over again. And it wasn't even a question I really cared about. So I really just started from scratch. Like I hadn't taken any psychology courses in college. I had just graduated. So I had to move back home and, and start all over. But it was also realizing like I was spending a lot of time thinking about depression because I was really depressed and that became super fascinating to me. I had also been a philosophy major in college. And so the questions of like, why, why do we do what we do? What does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be happy? Like all of these questions had already kind of been budding in me for a very long time. And so psychology felt like kind of the next natural conclusion of how to apply that. And it's, it's really been, it's really been great as for reality TV. Yeah, that was, that was a huge hit to my mental health. Um, I've been free from depression since I was 22, which is great, but this was like my, my entry into anxiety (laughs) and anger, um, and regret, you know, just all of these things, because suddenly I, I remember what I hated in high school was being in a social hierarchy 
there being like the cool kids at this cafeteria table and like, you know, who every, and then like the, there's just these different kind of clicks and, and um, just knowing how you stack up to others. And what I loved about being an adult and being in New York city was that that didn't exist anymore. You were friends with who you were friends with. You could create your own story and be your own person. And suddenly being on the bachelor was like being thrown right back into the cafeteria again. You know, who the people, you know, you're like, oh, why, why wasn't I deserving of airtime? Even though I made it through a lot of the show, why did I get cut? Am I, why am I unpopular? Why are people talking shit about me on Reddit constantly? Like it just, all of those things really collided and, um, you know, you go in and it's just, it's just difficult. It's a huge risk. You, you give your reputation, your persona, your image to other people to manipulate and play with and craft. Um, the friends you make, you have these like incredibly deep relationships while you're on the show and then you all scatter and um, new relationships form based on like how famous you are or, and therefore how many marketing opportunities you have. And you just, you just watch these like tight relationships you have kind of form these new constellations, which is a bit difficult. So I was pretty plagued by, by envy and um, just feeling like I, cause I, I forfeited, like I left the show for my job, which turned out to be a good decision. Cause I, I landed here, but at the time I had no idea. I just played, I just played the scamble and I didn't know if it was going to pay off. So I was like, Oh, I forfeited and I gave up all of this stuff. And now people are mean to me and you feel chronically misunderstood and I'm totally ranting, but there's just a lot. The reality TV question is just, it's, it's very layered when it comes to mental health. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. And I, I do think, no, I think it's really illuminating because I think, and this, I think this concept kind of applies to a lot of what we're dealing with culturally, but there's this, there's this thing that happens. I don't know if it's whether you just know someone through a screen, whatever screen it might be, whether it's your phone, whether it's, you know, someone's Instagram account, whether it's a reality TV, um, there's almost like a disconnect, a dehumanizing where mm-hmm. I think people can easily forget that. Yes, of course it's produced. And of course there are, you know, manipulated storylines and things like that, but that there are human beings on the other side of it all. And, um, you know, just like even you were talking, mentioning like the Reddit chains and things like that, where people feel, you know, with social media, I think people give themselves permission to say things they would never actually say to someone in person. And it removes this like necessary sort of empathy or accountability that you just like when you're in a room with a person or need to look eye to eye with a person, you don't have that sort of anonymity that goes along with it. So it's, it's an interesting time because I think it's certainly not speaking of mental health. I don't know that it helps anybody's mental health to either be one of the people who participates in that or be someone who is on the receiving end of it either. So I think it's, I'm glad you shared a little bit because I think it's illuminating and I'm sure our listeners, um, you know, are interested to hear sort of the other sort of the reality, the real reality of (laughs) reality TV. Um, one thing I'd love you to touch on maybe Kibby, if you want to jump in on this one too, you both mentioned a little bit earlier about, I think the concept of setting boundaries for, um, when we are dealing with loved ones who are deeply struggling in a period of struggle with their mental health. And I know this can be really difficult setting boundaries and learning, you know, 
that concept can be difficult in general, I think. But when you feel that one of your loved ones is really suffering and that there's a, there's sort of a helplessness, um, that can come along with it. And oftentimes I think there's a lot of like codependent stuff that can also, um, be a part of those relationships, especially when you're dealing with addiction. I'm not an expert on this as you are, but just as someone who's been pretty tuned into this, you know, for a while. And so I would love one of you to touch on how we can continue to hold the people that we love with love. And also how do we, how can we be in relationship when that starts to get really difficult? Oof. You asked the tough question, but it's, it's a really good one because I think everyone can relate to that even beyond the mental health. Like what happens when a tricky relationship gets like too much? It's tough because I think that we're so used to thinking in very simplistic ways. Either we like love, give, super involved, really close, or we cut off that person because we can't deal with them anymore, right? And I've been there so much with my mom and other people where it's like, I'm in it or I'm just like, get get away from me. I need my space. And especially with that, people who experience getting boundaries set, you know, if someone says, no, I can't help you or no, I can't engage anyway, it could feel like a rejection. And then they get super hurt and all the goodwill that you built up with helping that person is gone. So it's a really hard balance to strike. Um, and I, I, I think, especially when you, when you mentioned codependency, when you have really long relationships, like a best friend, a sister, family member, parent who has mental health struggles, you start to identify yourself as like the giver and the helper. And so saying no seems like the opposite of what, you know, you can do for these people in the world. So it's, it's tricky. Like they're just validating that is super tricky. Um, but super important in the way that I like to think about, I'm, I'm speaking myself, I consider myself like a giver and setting boundaries is really tough for me, but I I'm over time getting burned out emotionally and empathetically with all these things. I think to myself, I can't fully give to that person if I feel burnt out, right? If I feel like I'm done and I can't even engage, I've, I've, I, I'm not serving myself or that other person. So I need to learn to find that mid ground where you love them, you have them in your life, um, you help in a way that is within your limits, but then also say, I love you, I just can't you know, help you to talk to you when you're suicidal or I love you. But when you're using, I, I can't be there for you. It's too hard for me. Um, and knowing that those, those boundaries change over time, knowing that one time in your life, you could be down for being <laughs> in, in the weeds. And then when you are a different place in your life that you might have to set firmer boundaries. So we have an episode on that. It's called like setting boundaries, um, and we use a skill from dialectical behavior therapy called Dear Man, which is basically like a framework that is basically like uh, helps you write out a script for what to say. But I mean, that's just the principle. It's like, remember that you can't give if you are tapped out. So <laughs> setting boundaries is a healthy thing without having to go black or white in or out entirely. I think people need to realize that they deserve to set boundaries because it can feel like they don't feel like if somebody else is in distress, then I really need, I I don't deserve to put myself first. But I think the principle here is that you need to prioritize the longevity of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that really means 
if I'm going to burn out on helping you, then that's not in service of lengthening this relationship. So the other thing to realize is that there are resources that are probably more helpful than you are. There is treatment. And sometimes the way you're helping might not be the right way to help. If you are sitting there co-ruminating with your depressed friend all day long, you're actually making the problem worse. And so it's not all that obvious that like just being there for your friend and doing whatever the friend is asking you to do is all that helpful. So one thing you can always remember is, you know, if your friend is calling you suicidally, you can say, I'm so sorry you're hurting. The only way I know to really help you right now is to help you find treatment. So if you want me to help you in that way, I'd be happy to, but I can't stay on the phone this way. So you can always default back to helping them find the, the right help. This episode is brought to you by The Route. Have you heard about The Route Beauty? It's a clean, medical-grade skincare brand founded by a nurse and her best friend. Both are beauty industry experts and working moms in their 50s who wanted to address all the reason the skin ages in as few products as possible. All formulas are designed to work in harmony with your skin's circadian rhythm and are backed by science, road-tested by experts, and proven to work. The Route works its magic by using award-winning, clinically proven ingredients that deliver transformative results. I love the entire line, but their Instagram famous party peel is one of my favorites. It's an invisible oxygenating peel, meaning it won't actually make you peel, that bubbles on contact so you can literally watch the ingredients work their magic to give you smooth, glowing, party-ready skin. And it's gold. Speaking of gold, the golden rule is also a game changer. It's a next generation retinoid gentle enough to be used every day. Retinoids are one of the best ways to teach your skin how to act young again, but they can make your skin super sensitive. In fact, some people can't tolerate them at all. That's why the golden rule is the perfect solution and we love it. I could go on, but why don't you check out the line and let us know what you think? They are offering 25% off just for our amazing listeners. So head on over to theroutebeauty.com and enter Courageous25 at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. This episode is brought to you by Base. Ever wanted to figure out why you are feeling sluggish or bloated or what's really up with your stress levels? or why you never feel truly rested? With base at-home blood work kits, a simple finger prick or saliva sample makes it easy to find out the answers to common health concerns. Whether you know which tests you wanna get started with or you need some guidance, BASE's proprietary assessment quiz makes it easy to begin your health journey empowered with an understanding of your own body. Members can measure, understand, and improve their health levels related to the five most common areas of health concerns diet, stress, energy, sleep, and sex drive. The result of your hormone, vitamin, or nutrient tests are delivered to you through BASE's app and come with personalized recommendations, including lifestyle changes, supplement suggestions, and more. We both had the opportunity to try BASE and we love having the information at our fingertips and really recommend it as a resource. You know, we are huge proponents of advocating for your own health and BASE gives you a baseline information about yourself just to make it easier. Pricing starts at $59.95 per month or quarterly, or you can start with BASE Complete, which are eight tests upfront for $4.50. We are happy to be able to offer our listeners 20% off with the code CWPODCAST. 
To get started, take the base quiz, which will give you a recommendation for a personalized testing plan. Visit get-base.com slash CW podcast to receive 20% off with code CW podcast at checkout. You can also find the direct link to the quiz in our show notes. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm curious to, as, as a former people pleaser and a recovered or recovering codependent myself. Um, I know, and we've talked about this on the show and we've also done episodes on breaking codependency, but you know, like often when you change these patterns, like how it was, how it felt for me personally, so like, it almost felt like I was dying. Like it was like literally going against mm-hmm. every instinct I had to do what was ultimately serving me and the other person, right? Like you said, to for the longevity of the relationship. And, you know, um, but it's it's really hard, right? Like it's really, really hard, um, especially when we're in patterns, be it with a, a family member who's an addict or a friend who is is very depressed, or even um, you know, um, I have a family member now struggling. Um, or has been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And so sometimes too, right. It can almost feel cruel to have boundaries, even if it isn't. So I guess, um, just to continue what, where are the tangible places for our listeners to start? If like, is there like a tangible first step? I know you mentioned like writing this script and like, we can know, right. Like, I think there's sometimes it's not a disconnect, but like we know in our head, right? Like I know that, that I have to do this so that I, I don't get burnt out or so that I can show up for this relationship or for, but just because we know it, it's like, what is that first step someone listening can take? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to this right now. (laughs) I'm figuring out how to set boundaries with someone who's I'm very close to. Um, my first step is to, uh, my first signal of emotional burnout is, um, is, this might be a little bit later in it, but like exhaustion and disgust, I hate to say, but this kind of like, ugh, they're calling. I don't want to talk right now. You know, the kind of, um, yeah, those moments of repulsion where you just feel like you don't, don't want to engage like you normally do. And that's my signal. Number one, um, when I, when that happens, I talk to Jacqueline or another friend to kind of parse that out. And then I think about what, I mean, Jacqueline, I just had this conversation, so it's really fresh in my memory, but what is it that I'm not willing to do anymore? Right. And remembering that I love that person, not going full out, like I'm done, but just remembering that I love them. There, we care about each other. There's value for both of our lives what are the things that I don't have, uh, don't have patience for anymore? Is it a certain kind of interaction? Is it helping in them in a particular way? Is it a particular time or when they're in a particular state, right? To kind of really figure out where my boundaries are either in myself, in my, with my therapist or with my friends, just kind of figuring out where those new lines have to be drawn in the sand, Um, so that's step one. And then step two, I'm going to have to work on, but (laughs) step two is when those things come up or at a a calmer time to talk to that person, um, and expressing those boundaries. Now that's the, that's the hardest part, right? I mean, it's just very, you can practice with another friend, but 
I mean, it's mostly coming in knowing where those boundaries are and being really firm about them and yet covering the the conversation before and after with a lot of love, right? Doing things that, you know, going down to dinner or doing something that usually you do together and then say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of uh, maxed out right now. I'm feeling kind of tired all around. There's a lot going on in my life. I love you. I just, right now I can't do X, Y, Z with you. Um, uh, is there any, and, and if they need to kind of brainstorm ways that they can get help around it or, and just try not to try not to attack them or call them names or shame them. Like, and really focus on the behavior, right? Like you are crazy. I don't know have anything to do with you. No, don't do that. But like, you know, when this happens, I find myself really exhausted the next day and kind of angry. And I don't, I don't think that's good for a relationship. So maybe when those periods come around, if we do this instead and give an alternative behavior, like some action that you can do instead. So instead of calling me, maybe you call your therapist or, I'm not going to respond when, if you're using, I'm not going to respond until you're sober. Right. So something that's very clear, um, and not just vague, like we're never going to speak again, but just something very clear defined in time specific that you both understand and you have to stick to it. Once you, if you say that and you don't follow through, then boundaries are hard to hard to stick by. So it's, it's, um, important to follow through on those things. Um, and to follow it up with, with something that's reinforcing, like if that happens, I'll be less angry with you. And then we could kind of stay, I could stay supportive of you in other ways. Right. So something that's, um, comforting for them. I think you can also build back structure in your life if you've let it down. So if you've found yourself every single day talking to the same person throughout the evenings, start filling your evenings back up. And say to that person, I can talk to you Thursday at 7 p.m. for an hour, but I've got, you know, I've got, I've got things going on. And to not feel guilty about that because nobody else is entitled to your life. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we sometimes forget that. I was talking to a patient today who feels like if he were to reject this girl that likes him, then that would be so terrible. That would cause so much guilt. And it's like, she's not entitled to your life, yeah. your body. You know, <laughs> it, It's so interesting too, because what you guys are both talking about too is, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's almost like we're really not taught how to communicate, right? Like, or because so much, and I think you mentioned this, um, Kibby, I think you mentioned this in the beginning, right? But it's like, we have these like two modes of almost like we, we, maybe it's not just two modes, but like one mode could be, we give all of ourselves. Right. And then we start to feel like burnt out, exhausted, or we get that kind of ick feeling of, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk to this person. And then there's like cutting the person out. Right. Or like the cutout. It's like, you either give all of yourself or you've cut the person out. Um, or, you know, and I just feel like that this in-between that we're talking about, right. Of like healthy boundaries, healthy communication style. It's just such a shame. I'm just kind of verbalizing what I'm thinking as I'm listening to you both, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately about how we're just not taught to communicate, be it with, um, family members, friendships, like we're just, I don't know, or maybe it's not that we're not taught. It's just, we're, we're kind of conditioned in these boundaries or boxes that we put ourselves in. And yeah, if only we could, 
take better care of ourselves and communicate our needs and, and the way we love other people. Cause I also don't think like if there is a middle ground, like we don't have to cut people out of our lives who we love, but we can create healthier boundaries, which creates healthier relationships for, for the long haul. Yeah. It's, it's, especially now with apps and everything online, I think we've really gotten deep into the ghosting culture mm. where it's like, you're in it, you're doing your thing, you're close to this person. And when you, if something bothers you, don't talk to them and don't explain what's going on. Just don't respond as much and then disappear into the night. Right. And, and, um, sometimes with my patients, it, it blows their minds to think that they can have anger and not like something that they're doing. And that being a healthy part of a relationship, it's like, oh, I, my romantic partner, my friends were either like soulmates or it's wrong. And I got to go. Um, and that's crazy to me. So it's just, you, you grow together by, by adapting like that and expressing those feelings and, and compromising. There's so much growth in that, that it seems so natural to me. I don't know. Yeah. This idea of complexity that relationships are complex, that, you know, emotions are complex that, um, I, I don't know if you've read it, it's been around for a while now, but I, I had, um, recently reread a part of Glennon Doyle's book untamed and she has this theme called we can do hard things, which is something she's taught her children. And I see over and over so much fear about doing hard things and hard things aren't even that hard. They're just uncomfortable sometimes. And I feel like the fear of discomfort has become such a thing. And I'm like, sometimes life is uncomfortable and you have to have uncomfortable conversations and you have to, you know, but like, it's not the end of the world. And I don't know if it's a nervous system thing. We talk a lot about the nervous system in the context of digestion and nutrition and that type of thing. Um, but it's so intricately related. I think if we, you know, if we're constantly being like afraid and triggered by this fear of discomfort or potential discomfort, like the discomfort of even something getting uncomfortable for a moment, which then passes, it's paralyzing, I, I think. And it's easier to ghost or it's easier to avoid or it's easier to not. But that's just to remember that like we're capable as human beings, we're capable of having dialogue. We're capable of doing hard things. I just don't know if we're taught that or remember it anymore. I I don't know. It's just like a thought that I had in the way that you were talking about things change. And, you know, one thing I've started thinking about is like, you, you deserve to be able to tell the truth. So often we give excuses, we repackage what we're actually thinking, or we avoid altogether because we feel like our honest, like our honest reaction or belief is not somehow palatable or good enough. And it's amazing how the pattern that that takes, like what, what that does to you over time, when you feel like you can't even, like, you can't actually be honest with people because then it's harder to be honest with yourself you start believing that other people are entitled to your time and energy because when you don't tell the truth, when you give excuses, right, then you don't protect, you don't protect yourself and protect what's really going on. Um, 
So I would just say, like, just try telling people the honest reasons for things. You don't want to go out because you're too tired. That's okay. You're not interested. That's okay too. You don't have to ghost because often the, the things we do instead wind up hurting people more. Like it hurts more to just avoid and ghost and eventually snap at people. So whatever is honestly going on, whatever the truth is, is okay. And you deserve, you deserve that reality. Yeah. And if someone's reaction is not what you want, that's also okay too. Yeah. You know, I think that's part of the like impetus for not telling the truth is fear of what they might think of me or fear how they might respond to me or whatever. And it's like, if they disagree or if they're disappointed, we're also capable of handling that. And, um, I think it's, yeah, it's interesting. I've been in my own sort of exploration of these things with certain people in my own family too. And just like, just remembering, you know, and Erica and I have a Buddhist practice. That's how we met. And there's this concept of like remembering our true selves, which are, which is like this Buddha nature that every person has, but it's this idea of like, we can forget, we can forget through these patterns or traumas, whether they're small or large or, or even just certain conditioning and, um, not trust ourselves, not trust our, our lives or, you know, um, so I think, I mean, it all, for me, it all intersects, but it's something that, you know, I think you're, you're both speaking to and feel like permission to live, you know, in, in our truths and authentically, and that's okay. And even if it's uncomfortable sometimes, you know, yeah. So this might be a little bit of a 180, but <laughs> <laughs> one thing we did want to touch on with you um, was because a lot of actually a lot of listeners and folks that we know too are in this phase of life um, where uh, egg freezing is is becoming a thing. And um, I know now that I'm in my very well into my mid 30s, <laughs> um, it's becoming more and more popular among my friends as well. So, um, Erica and I, before the show decide, you know, said, we'd love to ask you about this. Cause we know that you talk about it. Um, because I just think it would be really, uh, you know, opening and of interest to a lot of our listeners. So would you mind touching on that? Who, who first? <laughs> Whoever wants to go. <laughs> Did you both have, I guess, like just to like spark you as well, did you both have um, experiences with egg freezing and was it due to um, infertility struggles or was it a proactive choice? Like Ali was talking about a lot of, um, as I've entered my thirties, it's, it's a common conversation. A lot of us are starting to have. Yeah. Um, we both did egg freezing, but I came uh, to it through uh, infertility. So yeah, just, just like a lot of people we know, and probably a lot of, a lot of listeners, I spend a lot of my life thinking about my career and thinking, I'm going to make sure that I have a career that I'm proud of and go slowly on this. And, um, I only started trying with my husband at the time, now my ex-husband, um, when I was about like 32 and, you know, you think that as, as we were taught, you know, you go off birth control and I'm going to immediately get pregnant. And that didn't happen. Um, it didn't happen for two years. And during that time I started to go to doctors, they couldn't find anything, which is like the worst thing because it's like this uncertain time. And it, it really messed with my mental health at the time. I would get this roller coaster of hope and anxiety and getting all this advice about like, 
you should just take, have a glass of wine and relax and eat this food and a lot of salmon, no more coffee. And I was doing all of these things and it wasn't working. And it just, it felt like I had no answer for this huge thing of like, how can I like give life? Um, and it started to feel like, I mean, we're scientists, but it's still in my head. I was like, is, am I not meant to have children? Am I being cosmically punished for something? Am I, is my body wrong? Am I, is my personality? I mean, you get all sorts of advice and things that you just don't know what to do. And it's just, it it was devastating every month. Um, And I was really depressed every time I would uh, find out that I wasn't pregnant. And I started going through IVF. I, I first did it, some other fertility treatments didn't work. I started to do IVF. And actually I, um, right before I was going to get the embryo transferred in so that everything went well, but right before I transferred in, I was like, you know what? My relationship isn't working. I have to split up with my husband. Uh, well, I, at the time I thought I couldn't do this. And then later I decided to split up with him. It was like the day um, before. Right? It was, it was like, I was getting a Monday morning. I was going to get that embryo in. And Friday I was like, no, (laughs) pause everything. Um, So it was a gut feeling um, that I'm really grateful for because then, but then I was left with something that I hadn't really come to terms with, which is like, I was driving this so hard and trying to force it because by that time I was in my mid thirties and I was like, what, I'm going to just break up with him and start afresh as a mid thirties woman. Like what? (laughs) This, the uncertainty of that was terrifying, but at, at that point I had ignored that fear so long and I just couldn't, I couldn't force something that didn't feel right. Um, and so I broke up with him and I did a round of egg freezing. So I had like embryo. So I did it twice, once with embryos and one with, um, uh, with just eggs. And I really, oh, as soon as I got the eggs, it felt like this existential freedom that I didn't even realize. I was like, Oh, thank goodness. I could date for the next five years and still have a biological child. Hopefully. Um, funny enough, I actually just got pregnant naturally with another, with my new boyfriend. So, Hey, you never know what's going to happen with this stuff. So congratulations. Congrats. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. I can say that she has Excalibur eggs. It took the one true King to impregnate her, her body was like, but this guy, not this guy. Yeah. I mean, I learned like, first of all, you have no control over this stuff, this mm-hmm. stuff you want to have control and want to have everything planned out. And we just can't, yeah. and you have no idea. What, and fertility science is so new that they can't actually test for all the reasons why people can't have children. Um, but egg freezing was such a great choice for me. Now I will say, everyone's talking about it and they say it's like, you know, the major thing it is expensive. Mm-hmm. It does come with some medical risks. Like you are going through, like you're putting hormones in your body. You are going yeah. through surgery. That wasn't a small thing. Um, so there there's pros and cons, but for me, totally the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, should we start unpacking or Jacqueline? Um, maybe you can also share your journey with, um, sure. fertility and egg freezing, and then we can, um, we can, talk about it a little bit. Cause yeah, sure. I have already so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I froze my eggs twice for two very different reasons. The first time. So I'm 30. Um, 
my friend from the bachelor caroline found out she had low egg like extremely low egg reserve i was pre menopausal and she found a doctor named dr amy who was willing to take a chance on her and freeze like one egg at a time so that got me to really look into my fertility health so first i did modern fertility um, which is a, a hormone test. And I found out that I had really high AMH, which meant that I probably had a whole bunch of eggs and I was feeling pretty good about this. Um, my reasoning was I was a huge commitment phobe. Now I'm engaged. So I've conquered it, I guess, but, um, I was like, I had just in this new relationship and I'm like, I, my patterns in relationships are not that good. I could definitely be single until I'm 40 because I keep sabotaging and keep losing interest, whatever. So, and um, concurrently with that, like, you know, I'm, in, I'm new in a PhD program and it's not just the PhD, right? Like that's five years in one place, but then it's a year of internship in another place. And then it's postdoc and potentially another place for two years. And so I wasn't going to have a stable career until I was 36 years old. And I could have a baby then, but I think the important thing to remember about egg freezing is that it's not necessarily for your first kid. It might be for your secondary or third kid, because after you have your first, you're going to wait a few years before having the next, and then you're deep into your thirties and maybe early forties. So I decided to go ahead and do it. And then I, I got to Dr. Amy's office and she did an ultrasound and was like, okay. Um, she told Caroline to leave the room and she told me she was pretty sure I had endometriosis all over the left ovary. And I only had six follicles. So basically six eggs on my right ovary. I was expecting with my numbers to have like 25 to 30 follicles over the, over the both ovaries. So that was pretty devastating. And her advice was like endometriosis, you know, it's attacked your ovary right now. You can remove it, but the thing is it comes back. So you're going to want to make use of the time when the endometriosis is not there to try to get pregnant. So by the time this was all happening, my relationship had actually firmed up pretty well. And um, so Paul and I talked about it and he was like, hell yeah, I'll get you pregnant right now. Like he was ready to go. He's almost 40, you know? So um, I just, I, I had to, I froze my eggs. I only got four eggs, which obviously was really disappointing. And then I went home, uh, found a surgeon and it turns out I don't have endometriosis. I had something called a teratoma, which is a benign, very scary looking tumor with like, you know, teratomas can have hair, fat teeth, um, like skin, mine had skin fluid and hair. Um, I didn't have any teeth, which was disappointing, but yanked that off and went back to freeze more eggs. Cause I needed more than you know, because at that time I was thinking I had low ovarian reserve as well, because I really just didn't get any eggs. So I went back and then suddenly my ovaries were just having a total celebration and they were just like totally juicy. And I got 14 eggs. So now I'm feeling great. I've got 18 eggs and I feel like my fertility is secured. That's awesome. At the same time though, Paul and I firmed up our relationship, decided to get married. So I think I'm just going to try to get pregnant naturally in July after our wedding. So that's where I am. That's thank you both for sharing. And I think, yeah, that's really interesting what you mentioned as well, Jacqueline, about like, even if you, you know, what about want to try to just get pregnant, you know, maybe at like, you know, between 35 and 40, if you want more than one kid, it might be nice to have those eggs frozen and, and reserved on ice. Um, but I, yeah, this is really interesting to me as well. I'm 33 and I'm married. And so my husband and I have been talking about, um, 
when we want to start trying, but it is a very, it's just so hard being a woman to have to have these conversations. And, um, yeah, I've been thinking about freezing my eggs, right? Like I've, I've been thinking about it and thinking what I want to do, but the emotional component, which I'd love to discuss with you guys is I, I, it's a lot, like you mentioned to, um, Kibby as well, like the, it's not only expensive to do, but you are putting your body through a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's an experience. So can you talk a little bit too about how you would, um, encourage anyone to prepare mentally for that, this kind of experience, whether or not they're partnered or single, um, to freeze, to freeze their eggs? Like, is there anything you wish you had known, um, both of you or anything you did that really helped, um, kind of the mental health component for, for what your body was, was about to experience. And even right. Like those moments, Jacqueline, as you described of thinking you're going to have all these, these eggs, and then you don't. And then you also find out other diagnosis that you now have to deal with. And yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot being a woman. Right? Like It's a lot. Like my husband doesn't have to, he's supportive of whatever I decide, but, um, he's not, you know, he doesn't have to worry about this ticking clock in the same way that we do as women. We want to take a quick break from this episode to talk about today's sponsor, Ned. If you have listened to this podcast, then you know, I struggle with anxiety. When I first learned about CBD being a natural and powerful solution to anxiety, sleep disorders, muscle pain, headaches, and so much more, I became very passionate about finding the best source to put in my body. Enter Ned. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is USDA certified organic, extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants, grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Paonia, Colorado. And I use the products daily to support my anxiety, and it has been so helpful in everyday life. These products are science backed, nature based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over the counter drugs. Right now, we are both really enjoying Ned's brand new product, which has been in development for over a year, the De-Stress Blend. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp. And check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. And ashwagandha is an amazing amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Ned's quality also really speaks for itself. Ned's products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on Courageous Wellness. 
If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with code CWPODCAST. Visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash CWPODCAST to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. A direct link can also be found in our show notes. I would say for one thing, it only takes one, you know, to get that baby. And that (laughs) it might not be that comforting, but the thing is, is like, you might have to buckle up for a long process because there's so much mystery surrounding this. I mean, Kibby could not get pregnant for two years and there were no problems. She had a high egg reserve. Her husband was fine. Everything was right. And then bam, just naturally happened with somebody else. I went from like great hormone levels to no eggs and a tumor to like tons of eggs and everything's great. So like I have, you know, Caroline right now, her AMH level was like 0.1 starting out very low. Then it went down to 0.04. And now it's like back up to 0.1, something like that. So there are things, and she, she did that because she did PRP. So there are things you can do if you're willing to buckle in and allow this to be the process it needs to be. I honestly wish, cause it is expensive. I kind of wish that women invested in this, like they invest in a car or a home because so many women will say it is more important to me than anything else in my life to have children, but then balk at the cost associated with that. And so maybe we could try to teach women to really invest in this early and at least check in on their fertility health. But yeah, I would say you don't know what's going to happen. It really might change month to month. And so you're going to have some real downers of months. I mean, that's totally possible. Um, but Kibby, you went through it a lot longer than I did. So, yeah, I mean, since, since talking about it more with people, I'm aware of how popular it's getting and people, uh, may not understand, uh, the downsides or the risks. First of all, I'm hearing that there's a lot of like private clinics that are being opened all over the country that are just like egg freezing places. I went to New York Presbyterian Hospital, one of the best fertility centers. So they were like <laughs> full hospital clinic. I am really appreciative that I worked with a doctor who took the time to do a lot of testing up front, a lot of, um, a lot of, ultrasounds, blood tests, and, and, um, didn't treat like a business, but like I had a medical condition. Um, the freezing itself was not that bad. It's just like basically two weeks of, um, shots of hormones. And you mostly, I mean, people react to it differently. I mostly just felt like a whale. I felt really, really heavy and bloated. Um, and then you go into a surgery where they like take a little needle and suck them out. Um, and it's a 15 minute surgery, but um, and then you have to recover. So, so like about a six week process in, in total. Um, but I know I've heard a lot of these clinics just treat it like kind of like this money-making business in and out. You bring people in and just, and do it. And I would really take it as like a medical procedure, um, make sure that you get all the things tested before, because as Jacqueline was saying, you could have a better idea of how many eggs you're expecting, right? Like if you go in thinking, oh, no worries, I'll just drop 20, 30 grand on this and get a whole bunch of eggs and your AMH is low, it's going to be disappointing when you only get like a couple eggs. <laughs> um, and a couple things mentally to prepare for yourself. One is that when you, if you want to be a mother, um, 
it, it will happen. It will happen. I didn't believe it when people said this, but whether it's biological donor surrogate adoption, if you want to be a mother, it might not be in the way that you thought or planned, but you can get there if you want to. It does have this kind of cosmic, like you have to kind of give yourself over to that. You're going to set that intention and, and see it manifest in ways you didn't expect, right? Like me. Um, but the other thing is that if you are partnered and do egg freezing, be prepared to have conversations around maybe wanting those eggs frozen, but not made into embryos right away. Right. Cause <laughs> I've heard a lot of friends get into fights with their partners. So they do want their eggs frozen, but they don't want them. Don't want to mix it with the sperm yet because, and then they're like, why not? What are you trying to have like a backup plan for me? And yeah, that's sometimes the case. I had that um, conversation with my partner. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's weird for the man to kind of be, especially because when you do IVF, IVF is basically like egg freezing, but plus the sperm, that's actually a higher chance of getting a live birth because freezing eggs is a lot more um, likely that it will work out than just freezing eggs. Eggs can, um, the, the thawing process could be a problem. Um, so you might not get as many eggs as you get embryos. So yeah, the doctor is going to say that to you guys. And you're going to have to sometimes in front of your partner say, no, nah, I want to keep some eggs and not embryos and prepare for that. Well, I think too, just as like smart, strong, independent women, like for me to like egg freezing, I love, I've been with my husband, gosh, it'll be 10 years next. I mean, we haven't been married. We've been married for seven this year, but it, it, we've been together for 10 years. So it's been a long time. Um, we met as children. I was 23. <laughs> it was, we were very young. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, we're going to be partnered for as long as we can be, you know, as long as we are healthy and able to be, but, um, it's just as a smart, strong, independent woman, egg freezing is desirable because it is an insurance policy for yourself, no matter what could happen beyond just like divorce or breakup. Like what if your partner died? Like, sorry, oh. I'm like, a, I'm Buddhist, but I'm culturally Jewish. I'm neurotic as hell. Like you have to think about all the things. And, um, beyond that, just like, I mean, a little celebrity gossip, pop culture stuff, but everything that's happened regardless of opinions, but you guys know about like the John Mulaney, Anne Marie Tendler stuff. No. Okay. So Allie wouldn't, I know you Allie wouldn't. So, <laughs> you know nothing. And she's always like, she's our pop culture girl. I'm like, I don't know who that is. I do. <laughs> it's my me? guilty pleasure. Fun but, fact. My sister went to rehab with John Mulaney. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I was <laughs> like, that can that be on the podcast? Isn't anything against, um, John Mulaney necessarily. I don't have opinions either way about their personalities, but apparently, you know, he was very vocal and open in his standup that they had decided not to have children. They were not going to have children. He did not want children. They were not going to have children. So as we all know, John Mulaney has now um, had a baby with Olivia Munn, who he, whatever, don't know the situation, the details, but him and his wife are no longer together. He left her and subsequently Olivia Munn got pregnant he's a parent. And now his ex-wife is in her later thirties and is starting to freeze her ex. And again, not, we're just speculating. We don't know any of these people. I don't know what her situation is, but that idea of like, even people, right. Who decide we're not going to have children. Men don't have to think about 
if a man decides to change his mind in his forties, that's very different than a woman deciding to change her mind in her forties. So I do think these conversations are important because I just think it's smart as women to decide what we want and then take like Ali and I, our whole podcast is about advocating for your own health and taking your health into your own hands. So yeah, I can't believe we're almost at an hour. I'm sure we could gab forever, but, uh, as we do start to wrap up, we, we ask our, all of our guests, three questions, three little wrap up questions. So whoever wants to go first, I will, or maybe what I'll do is I'll ask the question. You can both give your answers and we'll ask the second question. Um, so the first one is you are both busy women and have a lot going on. Um, how do you take care of yourself? What are your daily self-care practices or non-negotiables? Um, I take very long baths and I do all my work from the bath. So I have a bath tray. I don't care if I'm in there for seven hours. That is where I will be. It helps my ADHD because it keeps me trapped in one location and I can't fall asleep because then I'll drown. It's really nice. I just keep adding hot water, terrible for the environment, but I try to make up for it in other ways. And I would definitely suggest trying this at home. I, I do the opposite. I <laughs> deal with my ADHD by changing places a lot. So, uh, especially the pandemic, this is, that's why it's on my mind, but basically changing my environment. So if it, it used to be travel, I used to travel a lot. Um, even just back and forth to visit friends, but now it's tra- just traveling to a new cafe or just something to get out of my head. Um, and then something with my body, like I'm just a very body person. Um, and I know I'm not doing well and everything feels tense and stiff, like an old lady. So doing even just like a little bit of stretching or if I'm feeling super burnt down, lazy, I go get a massage. So mm. I love that. Yeah. I'm actually a big bath person <laughs> too. Can I ask, this isn't our second question, but what are both of your astrological signs? I'm Gemini. Capricorn. Gemini and Capricorn. Very well, you're, cool. you're such a Gemini. I'm such a Capricorn now that I think about it. I'm the dictionary definition of a Gemini. And yeah, Kibby is too of Capricorn. Oh, I love it. I'm I'm a Capricorn rising and I just um I just love, but I'm a lot of air. I'm all air and fire except for my Capricorn rising. But I love I I have to ask that question. I like that's become the me. most like LA question of our podcast. <laughs> Erica can't help herself now. She's getting everybody's astro signs. It's really, funny. I am. It's going to probably have to become one of our wrap up questions because I'm asking yeah, all the time. To be integrated in. um, okay. So the, the next real question we always ask our guests is what does being courageous mean to you? Huh? I would say focusing on on growth over comfort. Um, I, I mean, the, you know, doing what's right when it's hard. Also, like when you, when you notice that you're nervous and, and it's, it, it's not the kind of dread, this is a really bad idea, nervous, but it's like a, a kind of a, th- th- Oh, I, I know that this would be good. I know that this would be a good challenge, but I'm really, really scared. Just pushing yourself to do it anyway. Is um, yeah. And then, and then um, yeah, choosing, choosing to accept discomfort. If you know that ultimately what you're doing is good for you. I have really bad commitment issues and I'm still kind of uncomfortable, but I'm like, this relationship is good for me. And so I can accept a little bit of discomfort if it means choosing something good. Ah, that was an awesome. I answer. guess that makes me courageous. <laughs> I don't know. Tap my own back there. Uh, 
I, I do have to say that's one of my strengths is being, everyone says that I'm brave or courageous. Um, I don't know. I just feel like I'm doing, doing me, but um, I think it's what she, what Jacqueline was saying is really valuing uh, growth over comfort and stagnation. Um, constantly pushing yourself out of the, out of comfort zones um, towards things that you value, right? Not just doing anything just for the sake of um, doing something hard, but you know, setting a goal and going for it, even if you're scared and um, remembering that learning only comes by going out of your comfort zone. You can only change and grow and evolve and learn by being uncomfortable sometimes. So um, yeah, just, just valuing that over avoiding. Thank you. And then the final one is do you have book recommendations for our listeners? It can be on any topic, just something that's meant something to you along the way. Okay. So (laughs) having really divergent answers to this, a book that meant a lot to me and is along with the Buddhist tradition is Damien by Herman Hesse. I read that when I was 22, honestly, it was after an acid trip, but I just was like, it, it just really encapsulated the sense of, of growing enlightenment and growing up. And um, I just, I remember I read it in like a day or two and was just shell shock. I also love anything by Esther Perel. I think she takes an incredibly non-judgmental stance. So I read The State of Affairs, thought it was great. Um, and her, her podcast generally, I'm sure I have other answers, but I'm not sure yet. Oh, there's so many that flooded through my mind. I mean, the one I'm reading now is, um, um, it's called, uh, expecting better by Emily Oster, um, who basically is for, for people who are pregnant and it's, um, uh, just really actually looking at the research because a lot of fertility and, uh, pregnancy and a lot of women's health is just mostly anecdotal. And so I really appreciate when someone actually looks in the science for that, uh, for that information, and then in the past, I think the book that really spoke to me um, and has a special place in my heart is Joan Didion's A Year of Magical Thinking, especially because we lost it recently. But it just was one of those books is very simple, very moving. Um, her own memoir about losing her husband. And I lost my father to cancer around that time. And it just captured just what I love about mental health, where it's like, it's all about the details. It's all about the little moments when she was too afraid to give or give away or throw out her husband's shoes. Cause he might come home someday. Just that just really, it was a beautiful, um, inner, inner experience of grief that shows that these kind of experiences are not just sad or dramatic or this or that, but just like very, um, just very nuanced. So I love that book. Absolutely. Thank you so much for those. And we will try to link them in the show notes. And then if anybody wants to listen to your podcast, find you, follow you, all those things, where can they do that? Okay. So our podcast is a little help for our friends. We're on everywhere where podcasts are played. Um, and my Instagram is trombolina, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L-I-N-A. So we can talk there, but we also have our podcast handle, which is a little help for our friends. And our website, a little help for our friends.com. That's where we really have all the information, all of our resources, and you could listen to every episode from that website. Awesome. Thank you again for both being with us today and sharing your stories. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. 
Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.